Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. All right, how's everybody doing this morning? All right, well, I hope you're ready to dive in. We're in Revelation chapter 11. Might be one of the toughest chapters in Revelation uh, in the sense there's a lot going on here. And uh, so we're going to dive right in. I hope you're ready. Encourage you to bring your Bible, paper Bible. Um, many reasons for that. Uh, if you're visiting with us online, thanks for being here. Uh, I'm going to kind of dive right in here this morning. And um, we're going to talk this morning about the future spiritual you. Uh, last week, uh, Dan rolled out the new creation. We have seven things. The leadership is we're going to dive into this year around spiritual formation, seven key elements of what spiritual maturity looks like. What is, what is this thing when God saves us? What is the vision for? What is my life supposed to be transformed into? And we're going to drill into those. Last week, we opened the first one of these. Dan did with uh, the new creation. And uh, so what we're going to, I'm going to throw a whole bunch of stuff at you. We're going to dive into the details of Revelation 11, and then I'm going to come back out of this with a couple very practical things from Revelation 11 for us to hold on to around this idea of the future spiritual you. I want you to hold on to that and uh, be thinking about that. If you're here watching online or you're here and you're just kind of seeking, you're kind of maybe on the fringe, kind of just not sure about Christianity, just, uh, man, maybe you just feel like you're, ah, you know, just this whole COVID thing, you kind of got disconnected from the Bible and everything. I just want to speak directly to you as before we get going, and uh, to everybody uh, as well, but I want you to think about some things before we dive in this morning. First of all, I hope you'll take this uh, statement and really think deeply about this, especially now. We don't really know someone until we know what they believe, not just what they know. I want you to think deep. I hope you'll take that, wrestle with that. Whether it's husband or wife, do you know what your spouse believes? Do you know what they really believe? Do you know what forms their values and what they believe? Or do you just know about them and, and friendships, uh, coworkers, whatever? You don't really know someone, really know them, until you understand what makes them tick. And see, this is where we, we're moving into Revelation here in the sense of our role as believers to testify, to proclaim, to be preachers, pro, uh, prophetic preachers of the good news of Jesus Christ. And with that comes questions and engagement of people below their service, not just what they know, uh, um, and not just, again, what we know, but what we believe and really wrestling with that. And uh, if we, that, that's where it really begins, right? To really get to know someone and, uh, and talking to them is, is questions and things that get below the surface, right? To, man, what, do you, what makes you tick? What, what, why do you believe what you believe, right? What's at the core of, of all that, right? So I hope you'll hold on to that. Next thing, look at this. All these five words, presence, the presence of God, the power of God, prophecy, persecution, paradise, these are all five very key themes in the book of Revelation. They swirl around this whole book. 
And within those is part of your DNA, part of the new creation, part of what God is doing in the world from the beginning to the end, what he's going to do as a community of God's people as well as individually in your life. So again, if you're kind of just seeking, kind of not sure about all this, kind of maybe overwhelmed with this idea of revelation, the end times and all this stuff, I encourage you to start with these questions right here. Presence, the presence of God, it comes down to this big question, are we going to seek God or not? And this goes for a believer, too, that maybe step back from God a little bit, not seeking, not pressing. Remember Jesus' admonition, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other worries, they'll be added to you, right? And Revelation flows out the end, bringing all the Bible, everything together in a powerful way to show us uh, God's fulfillment of his faithfulness to his covenant promises to people, right, to bring his presence back to this earth, to be with us in a very manifest, powerful way. Again, uh, then we go to power. What um, power are we depending on? It's a big question. Your power, what you can do, the power, the might and power of man, our intellect, science, technology, you can just go down the list. What power are you depending on to live your life? And let's just drill down a little deeper, right? When we're dealing with a struggle, it could be depression, it could be an addiction, it could be just, uh, but just go down the list of things. What power are you depending on? Which power do you know, right, for real transformation, right? A new creation. When Christ created us anew, he put his Holy Spirit, that's the presence of God, into your soul. Right inside your soul, God in you, with you, right? That is the power. The shift of new creations. Learn to live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh any longer. And the question that we have to be asking, engaging each other, is that happening? Do you have evidence in your life of the power of God, his Spirit changing you, transforming you? right, in your life. Um, prophecy, this big word, which is all in Revelation, part of the blessing that comes during this book is bringing out your identity as a prophet, a priest, right? And we're going to drill into these words. These are all, right, in the scripture, don't be scared of those words. Don't be freaking out. Those are biblical words. These are your identity, the church's identity to walk in, to be proclaimers, right, of the kingdom of God, the truth of God, to testify, right, to what God has done and is doing and is going to do, right? So what's our message? And then this is a, just drill this question down deep. What's your message, right? What is it, what is your, uh, I always remember people saying, what's your elevator pitch? Remember that a long time ago? Kind of, you had a real quick thing. You wanted to tell people what you do or sell them something or whatever it is. Uh, what's your message, What's your message? Do you have a message, right? Or are you just kind of going along as this just kind of sieve of, of all the media and everything that's coming along? Or is there a message that defines your life? And finally, persecution. What are we willing to live and die for? Oh, is there something that has a hold of you, that has captivated you, that you're willing to live and die for? Uh, again, this is fleshing out what we really believe rather than just moving through life numb, just taking it as it comes to be a new creation when God transforms you for a believer, someone who knows Jesus, right? There is this strength, this, this idea of I'm willing to, to uh, as Christ says, pick up my cross daily and follow him, deny myself, right? And follow him. And then finally, paradise, right, is obviously Revelation gives us what this is, the uniting of heaven and earth again, the renewal of all this, and, uh, and God with us, right? Uh, the renewal of all this, what is our eternal hope? And uh, people talk about hope, right? But what is your hope? What do you really believe about hope? When people just, op it's, it's got to be more than just optimism or positive thinking, 
Well, what is that? Right? Drill below that. Well, what is behind your positive thinking? Right? Is there an eternal hope? And, and why? why? Why do you believe that? So I hope you'll take those things, wrestle with those things, um, especially as we move through this book. Each of those themes is heavily, uh, we'll be looking at again this morning, we'll be looking at um, and pulling apart some of these larger, uh, these larger themes this morning. All right, let's dive in. Hope you're ready. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. It is our authority. Father, I pray that you would give us an hunger today. Let your people, or again, hunger and thirst for your word. Lord, be ready to hear and have ears to hear, to receive it, Lord, to study it, to meditate on it. Lord, to long to have you speak to us, to make it very personal, Lord. Not just that knowing, as we talked about, biblical knowledge, but Lord, knowing you, why we believe it, Lord, that it is a very personal engagement. Father, I pray for everybody, again, watching online, everybody here this morning, um, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be overwhelmed by the book of Revelation, but Lord, we would be captivated by this book and your truth, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, come now. And do what only you can do, Lord, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit, Father. We ask that you would move and awaken our hearts, Lord, to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I need your full attention this morning. We're going to, I'm going to try my best here. There's so much here. And uh, so for those of you who are uh, students, um, there's basically four interpretive understandings of the book of Revelation, I am going to give you two blended together, the idealist uh, and the futurist view of these. Um, and uh, some of you go, oh, what the heck is that? Okay. Um, <clears throat> why that's important is because when it comes to interpreting the scripture is that there's all different frame of, of, of how, wh which part of this perfect do we take literally, which do we take symbolically? And if we take it symbolically, um, then, you know, what does that mean for us? And uh, this is understanding apocalyptic prophetic language, right? And so just real quick here as we get into this, we're talking about the temple here. And uh, so I think there's two things that are happening here. One is this is speaking of a literal, I believe that the Jews are going to rebuild the physical temple in Jerusalem again. I believe it's going to happen. They're trying to now right? And all the, I don't know if you've been paying attention to everything around the Temple Mount and everything. I believe it's going to happen. I believe there's a reason for that because Romans 11, just write that down. Paul says there is a future hope for his people, Israel, the national Israel, okay? I believe that as we read this, there is a literal understanding of these two witnesses that are going to come in power just like Moses and Elijah, that they're real to people that are going to come and going to prophesy from Jerusalem in power and as we're going to read about. I believe that's going to happen. But I also believe, and, and by the way, that preaching, I think, is going to bring about what the fulfillment of Romans 11, which is God, is going to graft back in, right, his people. There's going to be a revival among national Israel. I believe that is going to happen. But I also believe that in this text, there is a larger thing going on, not just for um, the national Israel, but we see that the temple and all the language we'll get into a little bit this morning is also speaking about the church, about the remnant of the believers uh, that are believing Jews and believing Gentiles, that this one coming together 
uh, to be the body of believers around the world from every tongue, tribe, and nation in the world. And that this also is speaking um, about this larger aspect of his people, all right, fulfilling being the new creation, being uh, walking in the blessings of God and everything in the scripture and being carried out in the end. So here's something you need to hold on to. As the end approaches, what Revelation as well as the Old Testament, the end of Daniel and the Old Testament make very clear, right, is as the time comes to the end, God's people, there will be an increase in the manifestation of the supernatural. That is going to happen. What I would tell you, it's happening now. And, um, and Jesus says the end comes. There'll be false prophets and more people doing signs, wonders, and miracles, crazy things that will even lead some people astray. And uh, what we see here is that the end comes. God's people on the earth are going to grow more into their identity as priests, as prophets. We'll talk about that. And, uh, and, and in, the, in the gifts of the Spirit, they will be powerful proclaimers because there's going to be this heavy persecution. And let me tell you, you can't stand under the persecution that's coming and under any persecution unless you are walking by the Spirit of God and unless there is a powerful aspect of, of the proclamation of the good news, the glory of Jesus outweighs all things. And uh, so that is coming. There's this trajectory as we're going to see. Right as the new creation is God's church coming into another, just like the book of Acts, another great season. It's just going to vamp up as we get close uh, to the end of uh, God's people operating more as the identity that we see in First Peter chapter 2, that we are a kingdom of priests. That's why God, to minister to him and to minister to others, part of that is, is walking in the prophetic, is that we're a people that testify, right? The testimony of Jesus, Revelation 19.10, is the spirit, right, of prophecy. And um, we're going to drill into that a little more in detail. So, with that all said, we have two things going on here that we need to uh, drill into this morning. So I'm just going to dive in and just um, pick some of this apart. There's a lot here, um, and uh, I'll try to give more detail in our, in our uh, midweek um, podcast. Then I was given a measuring rod, like a staff, John said. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, hold on. 42 months is three and a half years. So hold on to that language. Um, we're going to talk about the importance of that three and a half years. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days. That's 42 months. That's three and a half years. Clothed in sackcloth. Um, okay, boy, um, there's a lot here, all right? I believe, as I said before, I believe this is talking about a literal, the literal temple in Jerusalem that will be rebuilt. I believe this is also talking about these two literal witnesses um, that we're going to see here in a minute operate just like Moses and Elijah. The, uh, the Jews always expected Moses and Elijah to show back up or someone um, like them, like John the Baptist, everybody thought he was, you know, Elijah in, um, incarnate. And uh, Moses was the Old Testament, greatest Old Testament prophet. We'll see what happened in the Exodus, all the signs and wonders that happened there. Elijah, one of the greatest uh, prophets there too. We see all of what happened in his ministry. Um, and uh, I believe that that's 
What's going to happen? If you go back to the Gospels, remember when Jesus, the transfiguration? Anybody knows their scripture, right? That in Jesus' ministry, he was went up, called up to the mountain uh, at the top of the mountain, and God's presence came down, and he took his inner circle, Peter, James, John, with him. And that when he was up there in the presence of God, God's again affirming who he was, the Son of God and everything, is that Moses and Elijah appeared there, right, to him and to the uh, Peter, James, and John. And... Um, <clears throat> And so all this, I believe, is, is true, is going to happen. There is two witnesses. It will be in Jerusalem. But also something else has happened. And there's a whole bunch of reasons that I don't have time to get into why that's, this is also speaking about the church at large. As these two witnesses are going to be there literally in Jerusalem, there's also around the world we know... This three and a half years is a time of trouble. It's a time of persecution. It's a time, Jesus says, the end will not come until my church, and the word he uses, caruson, preach, testify, prophesy, powerfully proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. And that will be our identity, and that is will be the church will be proclaiming this good news, but under a heavy that the nations will turn against uh, the kingdom of God and turn against this message. Uh, and folks, that's in the air right now. I shouldn't have to tell you, again, the statistics around the, the world today, the people who are most prosecuted, more martyrs for Jesus dying today in our lifetime than added up all together in the past. And it's only on the increase. I could go down the line, China, Iraq, uh, Middle East, uh, you name it. And look what's happening rather than in Canada, I could show you. And, and just to show you what's happening in our own country. Who would have ever thought in our lifetime, right, that to speak of the goodness of Jesus and the gospel, you would get a hostile response from American culture, right? And uh, this is going to happen among all the nations. Uh, and it just says so. It's, it shouldn't shock anybody that this is the trajectory, right, that, uh, that things are going. But all through the scripture, the temple of God, folks, when Jesus made you, if you know him, if he saved you, when he created you as a new creation, right, what did he say? How, what happened to your body? In other words, what is part of that new creation? You now are the temple of God, your body. And the spirit of God has come in to dwell with you, and you're to see your body as a temple of God. And the church as it's gathered is the temple of God. And what's beautiful about this is you go to, and I'll put these verses up here in just a minute, is Ephesians 2 tells us that this dividing wall, when Jesus was rose, crucified and dead, this dividing wall was tore down in the temple, right? There was a wall that divided the Gentiles from the Jews. The Gentiles could not get in. If they were God-fears and wanted to see and worship God, they could not get into the temple courts. They couldn't get in, right, to the, the, uh, to the um, altar and everything. They had to stay on the outside. Jesus broke this wall down, just like he tore the veil into the very holy of holies that only the priest once a year could go into. Guess who gets to approach that throne now? As a new creation, because of the gospel of Jesus, you are called to be a priest, a holy right, nation with the, and Hebrews says, boldly by the grace of God, because of what Jesus has done for you, approach the throne of God. Folks, there's so much going on here, and I'm telling you right now, is to get into the book of Revelation, you bring the whole Bible to bear on this thing, the entire thing, right? Old and new, every bit of understanding of the book of Revelation is fulfillment, taking the Old Testament prophets and bringing them alive and all together, as well as the Gospels and everything else. There is no book like this. There's nothing like this, and when it all comes together, it should be overwhelming the revelation of God. 
the truth of God. And let me tell you, here's what's sad in the church today. When people say they're a believer, but they don't have a hunger for the word of God, what happens? You miss out on all the blessings. You miss out on the revelation of God. And what happens? The world forms you more than the transforming power right, of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be transformed without being deep into his word and longing to hear the word of God. It's time for God's people to get hungry for the word of God again and hold dearly to this text with a heart that says, God, speak to me. I want to know, I want to understand, right, this word. And so here we have this, this idea of the people um, are we, the church around, as these two witnesses, there's also an expression of this same ministry happening around the world to all nations. Jesus talked about it in Matthew um, 24. It says, these two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth, these are, these two witnesses, it says, are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And um, this goes back to Zechariah in the Old Testament. And it's this prophecy of Zechariah, God, and, and, and the two olive trees, um, they were representative at the time of um, the high priest, Joshua, and Zerubbabel, who was the, the ruler of the, uh, of the Jews. And all of this goes back to the fulfillment. When that was happening in Zechariah 4, talking about the, the two olive trees and the two lampstands, is uh, it, what, what was happening. It was the fulfillment. What was Zerubbabel trying to do? It was Zechariah prophesying again about the rebuilding of the temple about the rebuilding of the temple. And remember uh, verse 6, right? We already talked about it. Not by, what did uh, God say to Zechariah? Not by fleshly might. Not by fleshly power. I'm going to add, not by technology, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Will my temple, will will my plan for the future be rebuilt, right? And be redone. And so, um, so why two witnesses? Let me just give you a couple things. Is, is why, why would we, there's so many reasons why we also need to take this symbolic for the whole church, not just literally for these two witnesses, but um, Jesus sent out his witnesses, his disciples, like how? Two by two. In the Old Testament, for judgment to come down, you had to have at least two witnesses before righteous judgment was carried out. Um, there's many, many other things um, that are talked about. What in the first part of Revelation, we talked about the seven churches, and the seven churches were represented before the presence of God as what? As lampstands. It's fascinating that there's only two of those churches whose lampstand, who didn't have any, who were free from any condemnation, right, um, from the Lord. Um, I, I could go on and on about the symbolic aspect of what uh, this larger picture of how prophetic language of what Jesus uh, is telling John, right, to communicate to us here about, in the end, the role of God's people. Now, this 1260 is three and a half years. Uh, many, if you've, you know, kind of got into uh, a certain system, and, and this is the other thing I'd say is... Um, you know, some of you have read and you know that there's like the dispensational understanding of the end times. There's more the covenant uh, understanding. Uh, the preterist means a lot of this people think was fulfilled already in 70 AD, where after Christ uh, rose, remember 70 AD, Rome came in and wiped out, um, destroyed the temple. Um, I could go on and on. What I want to say is, is hold loosely, loosely any of man's systems. 
Because we are Westerners and we want to bring it all together and kind of show chronology and this happened and here's the time and everything. Don't get caught up in that. Realize that this is prophetic language and we need to come to it with kind of open hands and, and hear from the Spirit of God. And it's actually, we need to like bring a blending of all these things until God starts unleashing these things in a real clear understanding. Um, and that's what I'm doing for you this morning. I'm giving you one, the literal aspect, I believe for sure. Uh, and that falls primarily into more of a dispensational, futuristic. In other words, this is mainly f- talking about the future, understanding. And also the idealist that says that this is symbolic of larger things that God has done in the past as well as primarily going to do right in the future through his church and through his, through his people. Verse 5, and if anyone would harm them, these two witnesses, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. Uh, in, in Jeremiah, fire coming from the mouth and also from the Lord. That's symbolic language, folks, of the word of God, the truth of God. Romans 1 says, the wrath of God right, has come upon this earth because man has suppressed the truth of God. And that every man is without excuse because we should know the truth by what has been created. We should know the eternal power, the divine nature of God by everything that's been created, by the cosmos and the, the, as we look at things, right? Rather than hardening our hearts to think it's just us and this all just happened like a little poof or something, is to suppress the truth of God, the wrath of God comes. And... Um, and this is uh, exactly right. What uh, was happening here is the the truth of God is coming, and it's a judgment upon people who've rejected truth and who've held on to their own systems of understanding rather than right seeking God. And uh, if anyone would harm them, they that this is how. He is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. Uh, and if that, that should take you back to Elijah, right? And Mount Carmel in the Old Testament. Folks, all of this fits together incredibly. It should take you as a new creation, as a believer, to chapter 5 of James in the New Testament, right? This says you are just like Elijah. I want this to sink in. We talked about last week, how do we get a hold of this new creation? Understand, we're walking in this new thing that God has created. You are just like Elijah. Because you reread this, man, I mean, that's Elijah, that's Moses, man, that's the, that's the big dudes doing that stuff. Not me. He says, no, you are just like Elijah. And the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Just like Elijah prayed and stopped reigning for how long? Three and a half years. 1,260 days. Sound familiar? Hold on to that number. That number is powerful in, again, the scriptures. Uh, most likely it's not a technical, uh, th- that many days. It speaks, God uses numbers symbolically. It speaks of a season. Just like the book of Daniel. It comes from, it's used multiple times in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament to speak of a time of trial. Right, a time of, of persecution, um, and especially towards the end before God fulfills right something. Um, just a little thought. Uh, see how this all weaves together. How long was Jesus' ministry? Three and a half years. So, folks, when you, you hear 1260, 42 months, three and a half years, and you take note, that's prophetic language to take note, something important. It's happening and at the end of that time. God is going to bring forth, right, something very, very special, okay? 
Um, and I do think there, this season, you know, you, if you've gotten into this, uh, and some people take a literal seven-year period from the book of Daniel, that could be the case. Divided up into two, three and a half uh, seasons. The first part, which we've read, the birth pains in the first part of the tribulation. The second part, Antichrist comes, and some of these things start to happen in the last three and a half years in the great tribulation. I think there's some validity to all of that. Verse 7. And when, oh no, where am I? Uh, Verse 6. And they have power to shut the sky, and no rain may fall during the days of the prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood, and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they had finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them. And the beast represents the kingdoms of the world that are hostile to the gospel message. And and they will conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies, these two witnesses, will lie in the streets of the great city that symbolically, so here we go, even uses this language, symbolically is called Sodom, Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. Wow, what is going on here? Two things, I believe it's two literal literal witnesses in Jerusalem itself. And the Antichrist, we know that the book of Daniel says that when the, and Jesus says in Matthew 24, that in the abomination of desolation enters into the temple. Right? And has this covenant with God's people. Um, So this is all right around that time of of the end. The last section right before God comes and makes all things right and new again. So what, and I believe they were in um, Jerusalem. However, any time in Revelation the great city is mentioned, when you hear that language, it speaks of Babylon. And uh, we'll get into that heavily as we move forward. And Babylon is again the fulfillment. It's the picture of all the... um, of the, of the world's uh, kingdoms that are hostile to God under, the, eventually will be under uh, the rule of this, uh, this Antichrist in the end. Um, and, and he just goes down the history uh, of, of ungodly cities. Sodom, who, who uh, we know from the Old Testament, right? Sodom turned, right, to incredible decadence, rejected God's design um, for uh, the body and for everything else. And, and Egypt, the same thing, went to be completely corrupt, right? And then Jerusalem, it says, who killed the Lord. It became Jerusalem, the holy city, right? Became so worldly, right, that it actually crucified the, and that's why Jesus wept. Oh, Jerusalem, if you would have known the hour of your peace, uh, I would have loved to wrap you under my arms, right? And, <clears throat> and bring peace. For three and a half days, some of the people in the tribes and the language and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets have been tormented to those who dwell on the earth. There will be a, across the board, not just in Jerusalem, but uh, against the church and God's um, prophets and people who testify uh, to the goodness of God. There will be a worldwide um, persecution. And then there will be a celebration, right, when that voice is wiped out by the world. At least they think so. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up! And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at the, that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God in heaven. The second woe was past. Behold, the third woe is about to come. 
And so, uh, again, we see here in this language, there's this revival that this is going to cause the resurrection, the rising up, right, of these witnesses and God's people, right, is going to uh, bring about an incredible revival in Jerusalem and I think in other parts of the world uh, as well, according to this. But you, you need to understand this. There is a godly fear that leads to salvation, but there is also a worldly fear that leads to death. And it is up to us to get inside, right, to love people enough to understand what they believe. Is their fear over the last two years a worldly fear? Fear because I'm going to lose my money and lose my, my world the way I understand it? Or is there a fear of God and concern for their soul and eternity of what is happening? And that's a big, big difference. One leads to salvation and repentance. The other one leads to death. And it is our call to step inside people's lives to understand what is going on, right, inside the soul. As well, we've got to start with our, with our own, right? And so the third woe, the seventh trumpet. Folks, if you, those of you who know your Old Testament, right, uh, think this weaves together so unbelievable. The seventh trumpet call is the final unleashing of the last judgments and the completion of everything before God returns. And uh, think in the Old Testament, um, the walls of Jericho. Which trumpet brought the walls down? Seven trumpet. All right? This, is, this, this weaves together, again, what God is doing. Seven, the perfections, the fullness of everything. Seven church letters in the beginning of this Bible, of the book of Revelation. On and on and on we could go. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The proclamation that God's about to bring the completion of the uniting of all things in heaven and earth together. The grand big purpose, right, for us again is to restore Eden, restore things, right, back to even better, though. And the 24 elders who sat on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. And these are the heavenly beings. We give thanks to you, Lord Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations rage. That's Psalm 2. Uh, but your wrath has come in the time for the dead to be judged and to re the rewarding of your servants. Don't miss this. This is talking about you. Your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name. That's your identity as a new believer. And it's time the church starts moving in that new identity and operating in it as prophets and priests and understanding what that is. Or we will not be able to stand as the heat comes, right? And there were flashes. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the rewarding of your prophets, saints, and those who fear the name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. And then God's temple in heaven was opened and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within the temple. And there were flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder and earthquake and, and, uh, and heavy hell. Those are all, we talked about the book of Revelation, that's the presence of God. That's God about to do something like he did on Mount Sinai and, and other places. Um, but the Ark of the Covenant, uh, where, 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 where did it go? Oh, what's up with the Ark of the Covenant? Why is this showing up in the temple in heaven? I thought it was lopped off in a wooden box in some CIA warehouse, right, somewhere. Yeah, if you've seen the Raiders of the Lost Ark, anyway. anyway. Um, but it's funny, uh, ancient Israel uh, tradition says that Jeremiah actually took the Ark when Babylon came in to wipe out Israel, because God told him over and over again, turn or this is going to happen. 
Uh, they believe that Jeremiah took the actual ark and hid it somewhere in Mount Sinai. Just a little side note. But this, the ark in heaven, it is a visual, folks. What is the ark? One time a year, the priest could go in and splatter the blood to cover the atonement of the sins of, of people. And the reason, only one time a year could get in, the ark of the covenant was behind the great veil. Jesus tore the veil when he was crucified for you and for the world. Right, so we could access the very presence of God. And what this is saying is the ark is here. and there's, It's God's, it's the remembrance at the center of heaven is God's faithfulness to his covenant to do what he said he would do in the beginning, which is redeem this world and unite all things in Jesus in heaven and on earth, the restoration of this earth, the justice against evil and the salvation being poured out right upon God's people. And so there's so much we can say just about this, this beautiful picture here. So, whew, all right, that's just, uh, I'll get into a little more details. I'm saying there's so much here, gang, that is just awesome, that brings the Bible together like you would never, ever understand. I want to drill in just some practical things. What do we do with this as God's people today with what is, what is going on? And just a couple things, all right? Hope you write these down and think about them. Big, big questions. We talk about being a new creation. You talk about getting to know someone. How do you view your body? How do you view your body? When you're dating someone, you better understand this question. Better understand it before you get married. How does someone view their body? This is massive. When God saves you, when Jesus does the work of new creation, comes in by the Holy Spirit, the new creation is a whole new view of, and the scriptures, please write down all these scriptures. I don't have time to get into them all. But it says you've been bought with a price, the blood of Christ. You're no longer your own. Your body is his, redeemed for all eternity, holy. It's a holy sanctuary of the presence of God. And so everything the world has been telling you that, uh, who was it? They said, oh, your body's a playground. Do whatever you want to with it, you know, is a lie from the pit of hell. And anything you watch on TV, oh, I, this is my body. I have the right to do what I want to with it. It's from the pit of hell. You don't understand the glory of the gospel. You don't understand what it is to follow Jesus unless this starts changing. So we talk about how to become a new creation. We need to ask each other, is my view of my body changed? Do I understand this is not me? This is not mine any longer. To know Jesus means this is his. He's bought it. It's his. And therefore, it's, it's to be a sanctuary. It's to be a place that we offer to him to become more and more holy like him. That's a big issue, isn't it, today? And if I don't go there, folks, I'm telling you right now, there won't be any new creation. The world will still have a hold, right, in my life. And so this is part of discipleship. This is part of walking with somebody. How do I work that out? And then how do I view the body of Christ? The scripture says the body of Christ is the temple of the living God. Not only is my physical body a, a temple of the living God, but as we come together, the church is the temple of the presence of the living God, and these are intimately connected. Now, folks, I, I don't have time to get into it, but just everything we're going with, the scattering of God's people here over the last two years is, again, never can I walk in the blessings of new creation if I don't understand these two questions. If I'm not journeying with someone, right, to grow in my understanding of the Holy Spirit in me, and I cannot be the temple of God removed, dismembered from the larger temple of God physically. It will not happen. It's nowhere in the text. These two must go together. And as the new creation grows, right, there's a greater understanding of the temple, God's people being the temple together, and the understanding of that is the place where my body gets free. 
by the grace and the power of God to understand how God sees me. Now, no matter what I, no matter what's happened to this body, no matter how dark I've gotten, is to understand the grace of God washes, cleanses, is faithful to make me a new creation and to walk in that, right? Okay. Here's a big question. Our statement question. Are we more focused on our struggles and past or the realities of being a new creation? Folks, I, I, with all my heart, I believe we need a radical turn of focus in the church today. We have been, we've, as a culture, we have sunk in, and we as a, as a church even has adopted this idea. Most of our conversation around counseling and growth and everything is so highly focused on my sin, my flesh, my past, and all these things. And oh, there's a place for that. But you know what? The gospel covered that. By faith, the only way I move forward is by faith. I have to at some point say, God, I trust you in your word. You've covered that. And Paul said, I don't look, I don't focus behind me. I'm setting my eyes on the new creation. I'm setting my eyes on where God has called me, right, to walk and live in, in, in this new creation, right? And um, I, I, again, there's so many passages. I just give these to you and to think about. And when, when the scriptures say, don't focus on the earth, don't focus on your body, your struggles, your past, focus on the, put your, set your eyes on the things in heaven above. You will find nowhere in the New Testament a focused on the past in this process, long process of wrestling with stuff. Don't misunderstand me. There's a place to dig in and get the gospel cover that. But the focus is always a trajectory forward. He's redeemed you. He's made you new. And to be a new creation, i got to set my eyes on what does it mean to be a new creation. To be the temple of the living God. And, and again, what does John 14 says? Jesus says to you, you'll do greater things than I. Who's going for that? That's what we need to be thinking about. Not held back by my sin patterns, my past, and all the questions of why I can't move forward. i got to, Lord, I'm going for that. And this won't happen outside of discipleship, engaging people and pushing each other and keep each other accountable, right? The grace of God, again, it doesn't, but the past, right, is in, in, even in my present sin, I don't linger. The enemy wants you to linger, folks, in your darkness. He wants to keep you in that place of, oh, you're no good. He wants to give you the condemnation. He wants to give you the shame. The gospel has covered it, the blood of Christ. And man, we flip over to chapter 12 of Revelation and verse 11. It says, they, this is you have conquered him, the Antichrist, the power of the world. They've conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. That's your inheritance. And that's today. You can conquer anything of darkness by the blood of the Lamb. He's covered that. So when you run into struggle, when there's something that has you, you know, captivated, Derek Young coming up here, Oilers will be here all day. Someone says, well, I'm preaching the eternal gospel. We're going to just gonna keep going. But... um. So the eternal gospel. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but that's it, folks. Take that. Verse 11, chapter 12, Revelation. Um, man, take these passages, Acts 2. <laughs> folks, Pentecost. We're living after Pentecost. We're a people of the Spirit of God, if you know Jesus, right? And he says, my sons and daughters will prophesy. If you, and it, it is, that's the new creation, be proclaimers of the goodness of God. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. All right? Get this. 
pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Today, we have a lot of talk in the church about just love people. You know, that's not what the scripture says. You won't find just love. Your love of people is going to be at a great deficit if you don't love them like Jesus wants you to love them, which is by his power. And earnestly desire the gifts. Why? Because we each need to be built up. We need a power outside of us to truly love and transform people. Then that verse goes on to say, especially that you may prophesy. Now, why does it say that? Because guess what? It, it separates that one gift because that's your identity. And the book of Revelation brings that out. You are to be a prophet and a saint. One who gives testimony of the goodness of God. Right? To the world. That's your message. Right? To come into that identity. That new creation identity. I could go on and on. And in uh, verse 26 and 39 40, it talks about the glory of, of what church should look like. And he gives seven supernatural, nine supernatural gifts that should be happening when we gather together, right, in worship. Um, James 5, I've already mentioned, First Peter, you're new creations. You're a priest. Do you understand? Have you walked in that? Are you setting your eyes on what that means to minister to God and to me and minister to others through all these gifts in there, through the Holy Spirit, right? Um, powerful stuff. All right, last thing. Got homework for you. Okay. Um, I was with uh, John and Trinity this week, and um, we were talking this over, and this idea came. You know, you've heard in the past people say writing a, a letter to your future self. You know what you want. You know want your future self to know type thing, and or to look back on. And folks, what I give you to to wrestle with in your just in your own, but do not do, don't do this in isolation. The you here, I should have parentheses plural. You you in the Bible is plural. Not just you alone, not just me alone, it's, it's the body together, right? And to write a letter, in other words, to your future spiritual you. Next year, God, you promise I'm a new creation. Here is what I want to see in my life. Forget your stupid New Year's goals for just a little while. Focus on the promises of God, the spiritual gifts. What does it look like to be a new creation? That's where we need to focus. That's, we will never lay hold of the new creation just talking about it if we don't pursue these things. Does that make sense, gang? Right? So, Father, we just rejoice uh, this morning, Lord, in your word. Lord, there's so much here. Father, I pray you just set it as seeds of fire inside our soul, God. Set our eyes on on, uh, your truth, on your word, Lord. Father, we want that blessing. You say it's the only book in the Bible where you say it comes with a blessing, God, revelation. Those who listen, who read it, who keep it and obey it. Lord, part of that blessing, Lord, is coming into the fullness, Lord, of what it is to be a new creation, to be prophets, to be priests before you, God. And that's now. That's laying hold of these gifts and this purpose and this message now. Lord, I pray it would be a people. First Corinthians, Lord, you give us some gifts that we're to pursue, Lord, that we might love people better. And love starts with loving each other right here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll come and, Lord, that your people will desire, seek after the gift of a knowledge of a word. A word of wisdom. 
We'll go after the gift of faith. God, we need great faith to rise up. Father, the gift of healings, it's in plural. Who's going after that? As new creations, we're called to lay hold of that. All kinds of healing gifts. Who wants it? Who's going for it? Who's laying hold of that versus just groveling in our situation? Father, I pray for the gifts of discernment, Lord, discerning spirits so that people can be set free. Who's going after it? That's part of the new creation. What about prophecy, Lord? You say, above all, earnestly desire this gift to everyone. Lord, I just pray against anyone who's resistant, anyone who's like freaked out by that. Lord, let's have a conversation. Let's go. Lord, what about the gift of tongues? What a glorious gift that is. To be born again, to have a new language, Lord, to intercede, Lord. Who wants that gift? Who's going for it? An interpretation so we can do it publicly. Lord, why do we shy away? You, you're, those are commands. Forgive us, God, for just taking a wrong view. That's just optional. It's a command. And you even say in your word, do not forbid these things. Forgive us, God. Lord, we embrace these things. Holy Spirit, you come. You come now. Pray that you'll just awaken our hearts, Lord, with expectation and faith and, man, an excitement, Lord, for what you want to do inside us through the power of the Holy Spirit to build up each other. To bring, Lord, as we read about, Lord, not just your word, but the power of your word to love and minister to people. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us now. Encourage us. Set a zeal inside us, God. Father, as we come to your table, Jesus, wow. Let us hold on to we have over. We are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of our testimony. Lord, let those things come alive. Let us rejoice as we are partakers in this glorious feast, Lord. I love you, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.